Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Comfort Zone. I'm your host, Joe Barksdale. To the first-time visitors as well as the repeat offenders, thank y'all for checking us out. This is a uh, mental health podcast that looks at mental health through the lenses of arts and entertainment, in particular uh, music, comedy, and sports. But we branch out from those things, too. Anyway, um, this is not a replacement for therapy. While these conversations may be therapeutic, I'm not a therapist. Um, And with that, we have a guest. I feel like I haven't done a solo episode in a while, but that's cool, though. That means I got a lot of cool people to talk to. Um, So I'm going to do my feeling wheel real quick, and then I'm going to let you guys know who the guest is, even though the episode is titled after the guest. And then I'll let him introduce himself and then tell us how he's feeling, and then we'll go from there. So to right now, I feel I feel eager, I guess. Yeah, I feel eager. I'm eager to um, I'm eager to get this conversation started because this guy is actually a really good friend of mine. And I'm also eager to uh, hurry up and get to the nighttime because that means I'll be doing my workout by then. Anyway, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I, it is my pleasure to introduce Chris Long. Chris, what's up, dude? This is amazing. This is so cool. I heard you talking about this podcast, and now I'm on it. There you go. With Chris's help, of course. Me and Chris actually, like the week before this podcast actually got going, I was up his ass asking all these different questions. But yeah, hey, listen, I've only done. Hey, dude, I've only done like 380 episodes. We have a a volume issue at my podcast. So if there's anything I feel like I know since retirement, it's a little bit of podcasting. That's real. For those of y'all that don't, is there somebody knocking at the door? Oh, okay. Yeah, you can come in. Hmm? Oh. All right. Tell us about yourself, Chris. There's someone knocking at the door. Um, and don't forget to do your uh, feelings will. Do the feelings will when I get back. But tell the people about yourself. Yeah. My name is Chris Long. I played in the NFL for 11 years with the St. Louis Rams, um, New England Patriots, and Philadelphia Eagles. Um I am no longer a football player. I'm a dad. Uh, I have uh, two boys, Waylon and Luke, six years old and three years old. Um, my wife, uh, her name is Meg. And uh, my parents, Howie and Diane, live right down the street. I live in in, uh, in Central Virginia. And uh, I have a podcast. It's called Greenlight Pod. Um, I co-host it with one of my buddies, from growing up and then occasionally a teammate of mine from uh from college and then my brother kyle who played a long time in the league is going to join me this fall and do a little podcasting as well so oh he's done playing uh what kyle's done playing he's done well i don't want to say it for sure for him but i was telling your your uh, listeners that you know i was telling about the podcast and that the fact is i'm trying to get kyle to work with us this fall and it looks like me and kyle are going to do a monday show every week wrapping up kind of what oh, happened on cool. Sunday. Okay. Yeah, it'll be cool. Yeah, so. For those of you that don't know, I just got back. <laughs> I have yeah, go. Joe was like, I got to handle some stuff. Go ahead and give me a bio. <laughs> but I, you want me to give you the wheel, dude? Yeah. Dude, I honestly, it was easy today. I'm happy. I'm, I'm um, you know, some somewhere along the lines of content and uh, and peaceful. You know, thankful and uh, and peaceful. That's kind of my mood today. All right, cool. I'm about to fuck all that peace up right quick. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> 
Um, you can only enhance my day, Joe. <laughs> All right, let's get the obvious shit out the way first, because, you know, I'm pretty sure people know who you are. Can you talk a little bit about, because obviously everybody wants to be a first-round draft pick. Everybody wants to be, like, the guy when it comes to, you know, football and that kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit about what that did for you, Um, let's say mentally as well as emotionally, just, you know, at any point in time throughout, you know, your career, you can talk about, yeah. I would say it made me mentally tougher for sure. Um, you know, I think I was pretty mentally tough anyways when I got to the league because I've had to deal with expectations kind of my whole life. You know, my dad played 13 years in the NFL. He's a hall of famer. Um, you know, so from a very young age, my good wasn't good enough for a lot of people. Uh, and that's okay. You know, like I, I think you can take that and try to parlay it into some sort of mental toughness, some sort of aptitude that you wouldn't have otherwise. And I feel like, you know, I accomplished that to a degree um, by the time I got into into the pros. But uh, I had no idea what I was in for, you know, because even though when you cross that stage, I never looked at it like an accomplishment. I looked at it like, an, you know, like more of a, a challenge because the team you're playing for, if you get picked high in the first round is bad, you know, mm-hmm. like things are not going to be easy there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet you're going to be expected to outplay all your peers. Um and that's that's something I'm okay with. That's the deal you make with the devil when you sign a deal that's uh, you know, especially in the old CBA, the money's really good. So mm-hmm. you're walking into a room full of vets who probably don't like you for being picked high for making all that money because the fact of the matter is you haven't earned it. It's an investment um, in a player. That's really what happens when you get drafted. The fans expect a lot, and if your team's losing, it can be pretty tough. And you know, I would say that at times during the first couple of years of my career, I was experiencing things that I'm not even sure what I could diagnose mm-hmm. them as, but mm-hmm. um, I was pretty fried from those couple of years. Like my adrenaline was pumping all the time, trying to live up to an expectation. And uh, I'm sure, you know, I was dealing with, I mean, I deal with anxiety now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I was dealing with more anxiety than I ever dealt with in my life. I'm, you know, I'm sure I was dealing with a little bit of depression. You know, it was really tough. If you cared, every Sunday was a disappointment. And, you know, every Sunday reflected on you because you're one of the first people that people think about when they think about that team. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hard, man. It was really hard. Things started to change for me when Coach Fisher came around, actually, honestly. Oh, nice. I started enjoying it more. And, uh, you know, at, at that time, I kind of climbed out. And for the first two years, if you Googled my name, it said bus next to it. Really? So, so like, that's an interesting thing. Like, when you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Google yourself and find out what people think about you. Yeah. And um, by year three, when I turned it around and went on a, on a nice run for four or five years and, and got paid again, I felt like I was no longer dealing with that. But, every minute I exist in the NFL is going to be compared to my pops. So that never stops. When were you first aware of that? Like, when did you start playing um, football? Yeah, you know, I was always, I've always been aware of my dad being somebody because we couldn't go out to get a bite to eat, you know, without okay. people bothering him uh, growing up. I mean, you can't miss him. Mm. And he's also a pretty gracious dude. So like, he's going to stop sure. and talk to anybody for the most part, yeah. you know, unless you cross a line. Shout um, out to Howie. Yeah, then you'll get a very different Howie. 
one that, one that, one that America does not want to see. That's real. <laughs> you know, on Sundays with Jimmy Johnson, Terry, and those guys. But like, um, yeah, it was pretty evident to me early that that things were different. And then when I started playing football, I remember going doing all these things that were like exciting for people, like pure excitement, like pure accomplishment and excitement. Whether it's all conference, whether it's getting an offer to go to a school, whether it's being an Army All American. You know, whether it's the first game I play well at Virginia, everything was received with kind of that backhanded compliment of like, yeah, but we expect you to do this. Uh, and and then, you know, you only got this because of your dad. You only got voted this because of your dad. You only got a scholarship because of your dad. You're only playing because of your dad. Hell, when I got drafted, you only got drafted because of your dad. I had 14 sacks in the ACC, bro. So there's just a lot of people – that it's never going to be good enough for. And that's something that early on, I wasn't as good at like kind of just. Now these people channeling. are these, I'm, these aren't people close to you. You're talking about like random fans and people writing and that kind of thing. Or are you talking about like people who are close to you in your life? No, people that are close to you, I think they get you and that's fine. I mean, but the reality is our game is it's, it's the biggest thing on the menu for a sports fan in mm-hmm. America. I mean, like it is, it's so huge. That, like, if you go out there and you put a uniform on and there's expectations on you, like, depending on the city you play in, depending on how well-known you are, depending on how how bad your fall is or, you know, mm. the, you know whatever, that – the perception of you changes. You meet somebody on the street, like, all you have is your name. You know, people talk a lot about being proud of the name on the back of your jersey and your family and, and representing and all that stuff. How did you feel about that? Did you ever feel proud about that name on the back of your jersey? Cause I'll tell yeah, you before you answer, I did not like. <laughs> yeah, they would be like, "It's the name on the back of your jersey," and I was—I mean, I'm coming from like the complete, <laughs> the complete opposite. Yeah, it's not—it's it's not my name. It's not my name as much as it is. It's not like a family name thing. It's—it's it's more that mighty is kicking your ass over there. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, shout out to uh, Stores and Bickle Mighty. Yeah, it's I, a tra- great, I was trying it's to vape call. silently. <laughs> <laughs> COVID, Joe? <laughs> nah. <laughs> and even um, if it was, take me. Y'all know I'm suicidal. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I would just say, you know, like, I am proud of my dad. I'm proud of my family. Like, my family doesn't have some, like, deep family history. Like, my dad, um, you know, was the first kid in his family to, I feel like, go to college. Uh, I'm sure we could track that, some, you know. That's crazy. Time. So, you know, yeah, you it was pretty different. much in my daughter's situation. Yeah, pretty right? much. Like, yeah, exactly. You know? Okay. Yeah, I'm the first generation of having something in my family. And so I'm very proud of what my dad was able to accomplish. I'm very proud of, of that name. And but I'm mostly, thankful for you saying that, too. I appreciate that. For those of you that don't know, Chris Long is white. And this is from a dude in the black community. Like, do you know that there are black people, and I'm not bullshitting, there are black people who do not feel bad for white homeless people in America? Because it's like, you white. What does that mean? But yeah, like, they they don't believe that, like, there are white people that struggle. I don't know. There's obviously poor white people. Yeah. I think think what's, and this is something that popped up a lot, like, you know, in talking to my dad is, like, as poor as he was growing up, he never had to deal with, you know, what a black man has to deal with walking down the street. And so that's the big difference to me. And if there's white so, crackheads, they had to deal with something. 
Well, yeah, they had to deal with something for sure. But there is that kind of big difference in what we're talking about a lot is like the lens of like racism. So I, I just, I totally like, but even my the dad, lens of racism, it's not like the country was built for every single white person to be like incredibly successful. Like there are poor whites, just like there are poor anything else. No question. But, but you know, they didn't get there because they were white. What the poor part? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you, they got there because they were poor, you well, know, and the, so a compounding factor would be, and I, I'm not on here to preach racism to a brother, <laughs> but uh, I think the compounding factor would be that at every turn in the road for a black man, like, he does not have a leg up on even my dad had he not played football. No, I get that. I'm just saying, just from a standpoint of like, yeah, you live in a country that was uh, that dis- that m- tries to marginalize and disenfranchise. I get all that. I'm just saying that it's not a yeah, white person didn't fuck up if they on the street is what I'm saying. Like that, yeah, that doesn't people, mean they fucked up. It's yeah, just, people have challenges, man. Like yeah, you know, that's what I'm trying to say. People have challenges. Yeah, people have challenges. Everybody has challenges, and it's all relative. But like, yeah, I mean, watching my dad like kind of go about his business and knowing all the challenges that he overcame that were just totally foreign to me. I was proud of that name and uh, I still am proud of that name and I'm proud of my own name. I think, but that was mostly what drove it. It wasn't like I'm worried about my name walking down the street. Like somebody's like, yo, you made your dad, you know, embarrassed by not playing well for a year or something like that. It's more, it's my name. You know, it's like, I only have one name, you know what I mean? And, if on a national stage I fail, like, sure, my friends and family love me, but I have a lot of pride in that name. And I'm talking about mine. And uh, I'd like to 20 years down the road, like run into people in football circles and them have respect for me because, you know, I operate on respect, you know, that's real. So when it, how can I put this? Uh, well, let me start with this. What is you and your dad's relationship currently? It's great. You know, he's, he really is like one of my best buddies, um, you know, and we're really lucky because, you know, his, his dad's relationship and, and, uh, and his, him and his dad's relationship was much different, you know, um, much more complicated. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just really thankful. And for a guy who didn't have so much of a roadmap, he's been like the best dad in the world. And, you know, like, um, living five, seven minutes away from him. Like, that's kind of intentional. I want my family to have a very, like, I want my kids to know their grandparents really well. Mm-hmm. I want, like, you know, everybody to feel like we're in a tight-knit community within a community. I live in a small town. Mm-hmm. And uh, my parents are a big part of why I live here. Like, they live five, seven minutes down the street. Um, that's really cool to still be tight with not only my, my dad but my mom. And, um, yeah, I think our relationship is great. It's always been great. Even when he pushed me really hard. Um, you know, I knew why he was doing it. Uh, and, and as the oldest, like, I just feel like I was pretty well equipped to handle like my dad being a hard ass, but coming from a place of love. Mm-hmm. The tough love. I mean, the proverbial tough love. Yeah. 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 No question. Honesty. There you go. Which is really That's hard. It's hard to tell people the truth sometimes. I mean, all the time it's hard to tell people the truth. Cause you're right. Like honesty, like, I mean, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like, I'll be on social media just honest about how I'm feeling in the moment. It's like, oh, this dude's about to kill himself. And it's like, this right. is how I feel all the time. Like, you know. Right. Um, 
But, but, but I feel I feel hungry and I feel like I'm about to kill myself for two far different tweets. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're both temporary, maybe, but one is much more of a red flag. So your honesty can be a little bit disarming. So not That's disarming. Yeah. I know, you know what people you mean, don't man. know how to take like yeah. brutal honesty. People aren't brutally honest like that. The only other person I ever met that was brutally honest like that was Will Hayes. William Hayes, bro. There's no filter. No filter. Shout out to Absolutely. William Hayes. We got to have him on the show. And then we got to yeah, have you well, and Will on the show at the same time. You you wouldn't get a word in. I know. Be that'd be, but it would be fantastically <laughs> hilarious. We could talk about RBN after dark and all, no, just, yeah. <laughs> and all uh, the other yeah. things that could have gotten people fired. <laughs> yeah, no question. No question. So does your dad's opinion, I mean, shit, I'll just ask you, does your dad's opinion mean more to you than like anybody else's? No. No? Not, so, not, 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 not in the not football way? Not in the football sense. Um, my dad's opinion of me as a man means a lot to me. But his opinion of you as a player doesn't mean anything? Or not it means as much? Some, it means something, but I, maybe it's the fact that I already have his respect. He knows he knows me better than anybody. So for somebody that, you know, thinks because I came from a, a you know, a decent background and, and you know, because my dad played, it was easy. In a lot of ways, it was quite the opposite. You know, there were pressures that I... I had to deal with that other people didn't. Now there were opportunities for honesty and perspective that I had that other people didn't. Um, but I think the pressure, I'm a very mentally strong p- person. Like, you know, we, yeah. we both have to be, you know, we all are. Mm-hmm. If you played in the NFL, you have to be mentally tough. I mean, yeah, I'm very proud of that, that, that skill set I have, you know what I mean? And so, that was developed over a long time of dealing with a lot of bullshit sometimes because even when you're successful, it's not good enough. And, and I think that's a tool that I use from, you know, kind of growing up with a dad who, see, I'm, you know, that's what I'm, I'm trying to figure out where, where that pressure came from. Cause I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Like, you know, Howie Long's kid, you probably had pressure from the moment you decided, Hey, I think I'm play football. All right now, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. where would you say, where, where because I know you said you felt it early, like, and I'm, I guess what I'm asking is like, was it coming from the house? Was it coming from outside the house? Was it a mixture? Outside the house, outside okay. the house. My dad, my dad's, my dad, the way my dad pressured me was that I, he, if there was one thing my dad was going to do is make sure I knew how to work, you know, because I think he's going through the same thing that I'm going through and probably even more because he came from a desperate like upbringing or I did not, but I'm still looking at my six year old saying like, we live in this beautiful fucking house. You know, we've got a big backyard. We've got nice cars. He goes to a private school, all that stuff. And even with all that money, if if you're not mentally tough and you don't have a work ethic, the world will eat you alive. As and, it has a lot of people that grew up in that yeah, situation. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 I just you you get paranoid about the fact that you know, all this success that I've created, I hope my kids don't pay for it by being, you know, less than they could be because Mm -hmm. they're complacent or because they're stuck up or because they're assholes, you know, like. As opposed to thinking like, cause you know, there's the other thought that like, they also have, like you said it earlier, the head starts, the opportunities, those kind of things like, and they could really capitalize on it and, you know, continue being better than the last generation. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. A, yeah. School, you know, the whole thing. Like, you know, I, I just, 
I'm appreciative that my dad made me learn the, the value of hard work because he knew that like it actually takes, and I want to pass that on to my generation of longs, even though we have like money, a lot of money now, mm. you know, like where my kids value that and they value being down to earth and being, you know, lie. and I say this yeah. like, I'm, you know, I don't say names or nothing, but like moving to Austin and just living places that I've lived. Like I've met people who have been living below the poverty line, like for a couple years, like they're not anymore, but they came from like a lot of like, it's, it got me a little paranoid too, because I'm like, oh, you damn. can lose it. You can also fuck up. No, 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 not losing it. it. Just they like you. The the things that you're afraid of happening with your kids happen to them, you know. And it's like, damn, it's it's, it's the disease of affluence, man. Like people, a lot of people have it, and you know, you'd rather have it than a lot of other things. Obviously, I'm not complaining, but this is the set of this is a set of circumstances, and they're very good. Now, what are the pitfalls, you know, mm-hmm. of it? And I'm trying to avoid those, and I know my dad tried to avoid that for me. And he told me, like, no matter what you do, all I'm going to ask is that you work, you go 100 miles an hour. So, you know, he 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 told me to get a job when I was, like, 15 to start saving mm-hmm. for, like, so he was going to buy me a truck, but he wanted me to, like, opt into Learn that. Learn how money process. works. Yeah. You know, and so I worked masonry for a summer, and, and it was, like, one of the best things that ever happened to me. Please speak and, up, because my kids are going to be working, and they're going to be like, I'm, I'm really, Chris Long was working at 15 <laughs> as a mason. Please, but please continue, because they're going to be working. For a summer with Krutoff Masonry here in Charlottesville. and Y'all going to Charlottesville, kids. Whenever you yeah, listen to this, Kennedy and Kendall, you're going. Charlottesville's, Charlottesville's not going to help your kids be down to earth, dude. <laughs> it's not. So, y'all y'all going to Charlottesville adjacent. Where's the hood? Like, <laughs> I don't know, dude. Uh, but it was honestly like, oh, awesome. You know, like, I love working hard. It's fun. I love the camaraderie. Like, you know, I was out in the, you know, in the heat moving all those big rocks and shit. And, you know, at the end of the day, I had some money to take home to put an ugly, like, brush guard on my pickup truck or, you know, like some chrome accents. I had all the shitty accents. It's better than what I had on my car because my car didn't gas, exist. Yeah, gas money, you know, and... And oh, yeah, at the end of it, I was like, okay, this is the, it's a transaction. I have to put something out to get something back. So why didn't your dad's opinion of you outweigh the opinion, the opinions of the people from the outside that, like, as you said, were like giving you that pressure? You know what I mean? Because it sounds like you have a healthy relationship. And I'm not going to lie, like, until we had that conversation a couple of weeks ago, I had no idea because you always came across to me as the kind of dude that's like, my dad loves me, my family loves me, like, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, and I am, I am, but to get here where I feel like I am, and there's still days where it wasn't good enough for even me. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, we talk about this, mm-hmm. look back on your career. We did like 1% shit, dude, like mm-hmm. a percentage point of 1%. And it's still not going to be good enough for us some days because we're our biggest critics. But I think maybe in some ways I am saying, <clears throat> Uh huh. What he said. <laughs> I was like, Chris has two Super Bowls, by the way. <clears throat> yeah, but again, that's not an individual achievement. No, it's not. You know, so, I'm just talking. I mean, you, you know what it's like Bowl. to be on a team that don't go to the playoffs. I could have had a Super you, Bowl. You could have had a Super Bowl easy, bro. Like all you had to do was be on the right team and be Joe Barksdale. All I had to do was be on the right team. We were, we were champions before. You know whether or not we were champions. Like honestly, because we are who we are, man. You know, like and not to be too deep, but like for eight years. It didn't make me less of a person because we won two games a year. Mm-hmm. I was a bad motherfucker. So were you. Like, and I always tell you that is like, dude, we did some awesome shit. We just were doing it in the wrong place. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so, 
I mean, part of like You're right, accepting yourself and your contribution to your passion is just saying like, I gave it everything I had, kind of like you're saying. But that's but, the thing, football was never a passion of mine. Football, like, that's why I say like, we were the complete opposite. I didn't start playing until I was like 15, 16. That's because I got kicked out of an engineering camp and I needed something to do over the summer. And I'm like, well shit, man, I may as well try to get in shape and go play football. Like, my passion was always like embarrassing people. <laughs> Like, like my passion was embarrassing people. Like, I would want people to have to look at the film the next day. Like, why, why aren't you making any – well, back when I was on defense, why couldn't you stop them? I, I don't know. Why couldn't yeah. you make any plays? Yeah. You know. Because he was, just had me on the – he had me on the EKG machine. Wow. He was just clearing me all Sunday. Wow. Like, honestly, you get that – but that's the satisfaction I love, yeah. too. Like, I never really loved football like like – I wasn't some football like junkie. I'm still not some football junkie. I work in football and I want to interview somebody else about something else, you know, but you just to me, football, was, football was my vehicle to grind that ax and compete. Like, because there was definitely probably a lot of anger in me, like when I was younger and, you know, to have that and be able to take it out somewhere was pretty awesome. I think any uh, good football and, player needs anger in them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. It's, it's healthy to know that it's anger and to, to call it that and not be in denial and then channel it and be like, okay, you know, and, and that's, that was the role of that game. And it was a competition thing. I love competing, man. You know, they call depression frozen anger. Oh yeah. That's, yeah. that would make sense. Random. I know. Super random. Stagnant. But does, is that what it feels like though? To yeah. You? Like, yeah. Like if anger was a, uh, you know, a moving thing. Yeah, you just stuck in a block of anger, like, and you can't get out. Because I mean, like I think Angel. anger and like sadness, Chris Angel. like Chris Angel, and then you call it magic. Like the mind freak. What's my What's my man's name? David Blaine. David Blaine stuck in a box of anger. Yeah, <laughs> but kind of like that, and you are like dangling because there's no one who can help you, and if you try to get out, like you will die. You know, right? And you just frozen in anger what but do you mean by that if you try to get out you'll die same way if you got out that box like he's gonna fall and die like you know what i mean like it's not and it's kind of the same like i think sometimes when you try to break out of that and we're talking about <clears throat> okay I, i'm speaking for myself now yeah. but i have found that like my worst episodes have come when i've tried to like change like physically change or emotionally change my mood you know in a depressive episode and like yeah, that's where that's where psychosis kicks in. You know what I'm saying? If for, I'm having for a me. terrible, if I'm having a terrible anxiety attack or something, they say to just you know kind of let it wash over you. It's almost like tricking your brain into thinking like this is what I need to be feeling right now for a second. Well, yeah, because if you fight it, it's like trying to swim upstream. It's not going to be good. Yeah, and yeah. it'd be even more discouraging because you're already doubting yourself and upset. Yeah. And you just start pissing in the wind. That Yeah, that's no good. True. Now back to what I said before. Why didn't, he, why didn't your inside... <laughs> why didn't, back to what I said before. That's really good. Why didn't your inside people mean more... Like, why didn't their opinions mean more to you than, like, you know... I mean... Because I, I understand everybody that had these expectations of you wasn't, like, a stranger. You know, like, I'm pretty sure Johnny from down the street or, like, your teacher or, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm not saying all these people were randoms. But why didn't your dad's opinion, like, outweigh? Because, you know, everybody's 
Yeah, well, your dad loved you. What does everybody else matter? So I'm asking. Wait, you went out. Yeah, I can't hear you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Because, hold on. Let me just open this up so I get some light in here just for my own. Um, because, honestly, you can hear my blinds. Hold on. Nice. Can you, can you hear my blinds? No. I don't want to mess the audio up on this podcast. You're fine. Because honestly, Joe, I, because honestly, Joe, I feel like, you know, you, like I know my dad has a great opinion of me. Like I know he's always going to, he'll tell me the truth, but he, he's going to love me like no matter what. And my job as a competitor is to make even the people that don't give a shit about me respect me. And that was like my job. You know, like that was my mission was like, hey, we, when you turn on the film, you're going to have to respect me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that, that's been kind of like my attitude, even though maybe when I walked in the building, you didn't like me because of some preconceived notion. Or if you watch me on another team, you're mad at me about this, mm-hmm. you know, about my dad or fucking where I was drafted or what or you, you could think just I'm be like. some ignorant Negro from Detroit that didn't even know who you were. <laughs> When I met you, I was like, yeah, that was funny shit, right? This dude named Chris Long, he's on the team. Chris Long? I'm like, yeah, he's a really nice guy. <laughs> but yeah, because you think about it, I never watched sports. So, like, I met all of y'all as just regular people, you know? No, well, I, I mean, like, athletes, other athletes, for the most part, don't judge you. Like, they don't spend a lot of time thinking about each other because the secret is we're spending a lot of time thinking about ourselves. Yeah, that's how when, you're going to get back. You know, like, when you walk into us on Sunday, when you walk into a building after y'all got your asses kicked or we got our asses kicked, mm-hmm. everybody is thinking about how bad they're going to look on film. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just like, fuck, I'm going to get to that play. Like, they everybody feels really nervous and panicky because they're like, fuck, dude, I didn't play well. And everybody's thinking that everybody else is looking at just them. And I think one of the, the toughest things is trying to separate whether you're projecting or people really feel that way and not giving a shit either. But as an athlete, you have to care because you're on a team, dude. You know what I mean? Like, so maybe if I was in an individual sport, I'd be a lot less, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't give as many fucks about the way people felt about Mm -hmm. how I was performing, but a lot of people depend on you and kind of like that just becomes ingrained in you. One of the hardest things to do is get hurt. I remember when I got hurt, in 2014 for the first time and I was on IR I'm walking through the building like I was a captain dude like I played really hard I was in the prime of my career I was a really good player but then I'm limping through the building and it's not an excuse I can't fucking walk Mm -hmm. but I felt ashamed dude I felt like I'm letting people down and you think that everybody in the building when they pass you is like that fucking pussy Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to say, but in reality, people are probably just feeling bad for you or thinking mm-hmm. about their own problems or they don't care, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the coolest thing about retirement. And the most tough thing about retirement is realizing that people don't really give a shit about you. And that's great in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're drunk in New York transition. city. Yeah. You said it. What? It's also tough to transition for that reason. Cause you're used to people caring, you know, being evaluated, being like, but see, motivated. that's what I mean. Like, so in the in the church, for example, people are yeah. always like, 
man's opinion shouldn't matter. If God loves you, you know, that's all that should matter. But like, I know from a human perspective, that's not always the case. Like, not true. you can have a hundred people, oh, we love you so much. And one person like, you ain't shit. And that one person that said, you ain't shit, is gonna make you feel worse than a than hundred people made you feel good. You know what I'm saying? Well, why I, do people say the word legacy so much if it doesn't matter? Who says legacy? A lot of people say legacy. Legacy is like one of those words, like, What's my legacy on this earth? What am I leaving behind? What, and you might not feel that way, but understand that you're probably in the minority about people that don't feel like like a legacy or like a reputation is important. That's human nature. No, I'm, I'm not saying it's not important. I think, honestly, I think that I can't speak for like anybody else but me, but I think when it comes to like things that I thought were important, like when we first met, I was kind of presenting those things. You know, being the person that you thought people that you thought you were supposed to be, and all that other kind of stuff. But once I started being myself, like I don't know, like it, it, the it wasn't necessary. I don't call it a legacy. I call it a vision. Yeah. The vision got really clear. I would say of like where I'm trying to go and what I'm trying to do, but I would never say anything like leave a leave a legacy because i don't even know what that legacy is gonna be i'm gonna be dead you know what i'm saying right exactly and there's some talk of there's definitely a conversation to, to be had about the futility of like leaving a legacy or even giving a shit at all mm -hmm. you know like but all i'm saying is and i love what you said about your vision i feel like i'm getting that vision for myself in retirement but you're asking about why we played you know there's only one way to leave a legacy that's positive in people's minds in the NFL, and that's to be a good player, to be a good teammate, to be tough, to answer the bell, and to to produce, especially if – and my legacy and your legacy are different. We could have came in in totally different ways. Brianna said and, I was know, a terrible teammate. Huh? <laughs> Brianna said I was a terrible teammate. She's like, babe, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, you were a pretty bad teammate. Like, I don't think you were a bad teammate at all, dude. That's what I told her. I was like, well, why, well, why do Chris and Will talk to me? Chris and Will are yeah. two people out of the entire – well, yeah, that's real. I still talk to people in retirement who weren't great teammates, but you were a good teammate, dude. Like, you were fun. You, you hear that, Brianna? So, we've already yeah. – the kids, y'all going to be working masonry, and I'm a good teammate, Brianna. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, the whole thing is, bro, when you come in the league – we all come in different ways mm -hmm. and our legacies are going to be like slanted differently. And for me, I didn't, I didn't ask to be picked in the top five, but that affects my legacy. I can't just kind of be like, what happens happens. I mean, like, you know, um, for me, okay, now I'm paid, but I got to go earn my legacy for an undrafted free agent. You know, they got to go, they got to grind. They're not worried so much about their legacy or, you know, I'm not saying you were, but a lot of my teammates that might not think that way. Because they're thinking about like what's right in front of them. Like mm -hmm. I got to make this next check. Mm -hmm. I got I got to get on this fifty three. I got to do that. Where it's the daunting task of okay, you're here. You're going to be on the fifty three for a couple years, um, but you got to make everybody feel like this was the right pick and you're worth it. And that's kind of the hard part about being drafted high. I dig that. Well, um, what would you say helped you? Because you said, like, you know, after your first couple of years in the NFL, like, you know, you, uh, you know, like you changed for the better. What would you say helped you get to that place? Probably performance. I mean, performance for sure. Um, and then once I, I started playing well, you know, my third year, 
had like eight and a half and then fourth year 13 and then 12 and then things were rolling eight and a half and over that like four year span i really felt like i had answered the bell okay i'd shown people that i can do it and this is you know i'm showing you why i was picked there whether or not you think i, I should have been um i also was enjoying myself because i was playing better and I was also enjoying myself because some of my best friends in the world came by way of Jeff Fisher and like that group and the fun factor was up. You know, I felt like the people in the building wanted me in the building. One of the first things Jeff and Les did when they when they rolled up was pay me, you know, because they like my game. Whereas over the last three years, bro, you know, there's I've played for a bunch of coaches already, you know, like mm -hmm. we there's been guys coming and going a guy will like you and he's gone six months later, the guy drafts you, but he's gone. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, Spags came in and he wasn't so crazy about me. So I really just felt at home. I felt like the personality of the team kind of like fit and, uh, and I was performing. So, so this sounds, this, uh, it sounds external. There was nothing. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But you weren't able to do anything like inside to help perpetuate, to help perpetuate that. Cause like, have you been have you ever, have you done therapy or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, weekly almost. So would you consider that mindset of like, you know, everything was going good because all these good things were happening externally? Like would you consider yeah. that mentally healthy? No. Probably not. No, sure. but there's nothing mentally healthy about playing in the National Football League. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> like the and honestly, mental health at the door. I think, you know, life's about not everything you you do, you can do at a high level and be completely mentally healthy. Like, it, not everything. No, you no, know, no, you're right. I'm, I'm agreeing. Men, mental health, mental health should be like Chris is trying to part of every equation, you know, in, in your life. But you got to realize that some risks you take, some walks you take are not going to always be especially at 23 mm -hmm. that's I feel like very mentally healthy in a way because now at 37 I've learned a lot of really hard lessons mm -hmm. and so like if ultimately that kind of battle and doing that the wrong way or being stubborn or being the way I am led me to where I am today then it's worth it because you know I was able to kind of ride that wave and the NFL is such a wave it's up it's down there's different phases in your career mm -hmm. you, your identity you know, like it's all intense, man. And so even if over that time period, I wasn't always the healthiest and, you know, I, I would, I would have probably abused substances and that sort of thing. You know, mm -hmm. I was definitely not as cognizant of taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, which is crazy. Cause I, <laughs> granted when I met you, I didn't know how to eat or anything. I'm like, man, this, this dude, Chris Long, he eats kale. He really like, really takes care yeah. of himself. <laughs> I don't well, even know what Kale is at the time. I'm not that, you know, like the funniest thing about having a dad that played is everybody's like, you're a genetic freak show. I'm not really a genetic freak show. So, I, you know, like I got to eat you well, I got to take well. care of myself. I mean, Joey's and, the same way. Like yeah. Joey, he was, I remember, I mean, I kept saying that like y'all reminded me a lot of each other, but I could tell that he, you know, like worked at it off the field the same way that you did. You got to. I mean, everybody in the NFL, I mean. Or still works like, at it, he ain't done. Yeah, no, but, yeah, but but unless yeah, Joey's still a beast. But like, there, 
unless you're just the one percenter of the one percent, like you can't skate by. Like mm-hmm. it takes work to get where where you get in the NFL. And so, but yeah, I, I I think some journeys are unhealthy, and that's life. But like you can also get some really good things out of it if you grow through them. And uh, would you say you're still healing from that? Oh yeah, for sure, yeah. dude. Do you think you ever yeah. will like totally heal, or you think it'll be something you just work at your whole life? Something you work at? You work at it. Like, so does that make you like sad? Anything. Like, huh? So does that make you sad? Like to know that, like, you know, like I mean, you're pretty much gonna go the rest of your life trying to heal this thing that can't heal. You know what I mean? Like, is that does the thought well, of that ever make you sad? Well, I I don't feel like I'm wounded. What I do feel like though is that I'm wired differently. You know, like. And part of my wiring is that I played in a sport for a long time that was ruthlessly kind of. How old were you when you started? Um, 10, 11, like most kids, you know, like I wasn't that early. I didn't play like. Oh, Joey said he started when he was like four or five. Yeah, dude. I, I, and I'm not that crazy about people wearing the giant helmets and running into each other and playing Oklahoma at five Same. years old. So, but I, I just feel like. <coughs> could be a vaporizer, could be something. <laughs> um, I just feel like, Joe, everybody's healing from something, whether they mm. want to admit it or not. Like most, if you're not healing from anything, like, hey, I want to, I want to meet that person because I feel like everybody. I would argue if you're not healing anything, you're not successful. Yeah. And I, and I think if it wasn't this, I'd be grinding on something else, trying to, you know, figure it out. And, um, I don't feel wounded. What I do feel, though, is wired differently from what we did. And I feel like most football players can attest to that is like, you don't you don't play under that much pressure, any and of us, change. and come out different. I'm and, not going to lie. That's what makes stand-up comedy so easy. Okay, not yeah. easy, but easy to get on stage and be, like, super vulnerable and that kind of thing. Right. Oh, you're going to laugh at you, – you're going you're gonna to not laugh at me? Like, Okay. Exactly. I've had much worse, you know, like much worse. No, no one's gonna get smoked if I if no one laughs at this joke. Cool, cool. Yeah, and, yeah. No, and, and nobody's gonna send you like sports fans are fucking insane, dude. Sports They're sending they send threats. They, you know, yeah. people people are in your mentions saying ridiculous things. People talk about your family, and you can't smack the shit out of them. See, speak on that more because there's so many motherfucking people that are like. Joe, why do you hate sports fans? Because they're some of the most ignorant, hiding behind 18 different accounts, having mother... Like, some of the biggest bitches you'll ever meet in your life. Did I tell you about the time I got these uh, people kicked out of a game? Oh, I got somebody <laughs> kicked out of a game, too. <laughs> yeah, fuck them. I'm t- Seattle. <laughs> well, you said in Seattle? Yeah. I did it in Tam- Tampa, Jacksonville. And I ain't gonna lie, yeah, like, yeah. it happened already. I lied on the family, too. <laughs> You lied on them? Oh, boy. Yeah, I lied on them. I was injured. Oh, I'm on the sideline. And, get, get your big ass out the way. I turned around like, man, shut the fuck up. You know, like, kind of like yeah. with you. Like, this was my first, like, major injury. I'm like, man, shut the fuck up. I already think about killing myself when I get back home that night. But yes. they talking shit. I'm talking shit back. Finally, I go over to our head of security like, you know what? I was I was trying to sit on this bench and wave a towel to help everybody, you know, get the team spirits up. And his family starts, you know, telling me to get down, and they're calling me the N word. <laughs> oh. See, I can't coach on that, bro. I can't. <laughs> I can't yeah, can't go to that, bro. Yo, I don't no, need to co-sign it. It I happened. Didn't, I didn't embellish or anything, but I just was like, 
you know, this guy was being ridiculous. I think he threw something. It wasn't like uh, like anything that could hurt me, and he might have been just too drunk and dropped it. But uh, but he still, because if the if the roles are reversed, you're getting fined thousands of dollars. They're gonna drag you on ESPN. You know what I'm saying? Like if a player yeah. did to a fan, what a fan did to a player, like. But also, fans, like, I just ahead. I understand, dude. Like, I get it. Like, people are frustrated. People have their own problems, and they project them onto you. And hey, I'll take being the person who's getting paid a lot of money to play, you know, a game and opening up all these hopefully opportunities for me and, you know, living this really rare life that we got to live. Although we hated it sometimes, like it's fucking awesome in some ways. Um, those those guys don't get to do that. And maybe that's why they're upset and, and resorting to saying really fucked up things, unlike your friend who didn't say the things that you alleged she said. Uh, generally, <laughs> yeah, Okay, I will say this. They didn't say it. Until you hear them, no. they're like, "Sir, you have to move." What do you mean I have to move? We heard about what you said. I didn't call that nigger a nigger. I think you just found a stand-up joke. <laughs> True. I think, I think you just find yourself a stand-up joke, bro. True. Um, <laughs> a lot of times, it's not what you say; it's what you're gonna say. That's true. Because I was like, "Like you're right." At first, I did feel a little bad, but when I heard I didn't call that nigger a nigger, I was like, "Oh yeah." I was on. Oh, yeah. I made the right call. I made the right then call. never mind. I stand by you, dude. I and stand I'm, right by you. And I'm talking you, about dude. we went right into overtime as they were getting kicked. Like, this is a historic game. And y'all going to have to move. You're going to have to go. You're going to have to go. You get kicked out of a Jags. You get kicked out of a Jags game. Do you realize what you have to do? Like, that's <laughs> something on fire to get kicked out of a Jags game, dude. Fucking, just- they have a pool. In the stadium, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah, dude. People I thought are just, that was Miami. They got no, a pool in Jacksonville, pool. too? They have a pool in Jacksonville. All these fun-ass teams. What the fuck? Yeah, they didn't have one in uh, in St. Louis. Bro, we didn't even have a hot... We didn't even have a uh, sauna or a steam room when I was with the Chargers. <laughs> oh, bad, dude. Bad. It was so bad. It was almost like... I got there and I'm like, this is why the morale is so low. Like, we went on, uh, we y'all went on silent count when we came to play you when we were in, and I was in Philly, dude. You went in silent count at home, dude. I was so embarrassed. Talking about, talking about things that will try your mental health. <laughs> I got to look at the ball at home, dude. Oh, we had to do that when uh, when the Dolphins came. Like, I've I've played against a couple people, obviously, that I've played with. Um. And I was so embarrassed. I was like, are we going on yeah. I remember we were on the sideline. Like, all right, guys, we're going to go on sideline. I'm like, talk Chris, yeah. talk so much shit. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Fucking silent county, yeah, your home I, stadium. Joe, I do feel like, though, you talk about being wired. I think, like, all this did, if we, the biggest challenge the rest of our lives is heal from how it wasn't healthy and use how it was healthy and the things that, like, football gave us. Because football did make us better than some people in some ways. I don't mean that in like a status way, but I mean like the mental toughness you alluded to earlier. Yeah, some life skills that you know people hire athletes at a high click because there's it's just like whether you're a collegiate athlete, a professional athlete, like we learned a lot doing what we did, and we have skills that other people don't. Like you can relate to people Mm -hmm. well, right, Joe? Mm -hmm. Like that's part of what you do now for a living. Like I honestly think that's why I'm so funny because the locker room was like full of so many different people and I could be funny in front of all y'all. So it's like, cool, I'll just take that on stage. And it's high pressure because you don't want to not be funny and tell a shitty joke to like one of your OGs or like fucking 15 guys at a table (laughs) that are going to laugh at you and tell you you're, you know, like 
it's not your normal workplace, dude. And I yeah. think we came out in some ways better for it. We just have to figure out how to like shed some of the, the oh, bullshit. For sure. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, I think everybody coming out of a situation, a similar situation that would do that to them is also going through the similar things, like you said, on the back end. Speaking of yeah. that, I know that you're into music. Who are some of the people? I know that was a random transition, but I know you're yeah, into music. I'm all about the random transitions, bro. <laughs> And my show is all random transitions. Talk about the music you listen to. Do you find that music has, and also do you find that music has like, you know, a certain effect on your emotional or, you know, mental or even physical well-being? Absolutely. I think the kind of music you listen to can affect the mood you're in. Like, yes, bro. you know, if, if you're, if you're down or depressed, don't be listening to some shit that feeds that. In don't my go opinion, listen to Kurt Cobain. Yeah, don't don't listen like AA Bondi or something or like it and you know don't go listen to I would listen I would I would so I love music, bro. Like I, I, I'm always listening to music. It's like A to Z, top to bottom, any mm-hmm. genre pretty much. Like um I got like Ethiopian jazz, I got fucking Freddie Gibbs, I got fucking I'm spinning Pink Floyd all the time. Like I'm a huge Pink Floyd fan. We talked about this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. I like country. I like, you know, one of my favorites of all time in any genres, Willie Nelson, you know, like, okay. You there's different. Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I recorded there's in his uh, studio. Actually, this album that's coming out this year was recorded at his studio. No shit. Yeah. Well, the one that just came out uh, recently. No, 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 no. It's coming out later this year. Like there have oh, yeah, been okay. singles for it dropping, but um, it's called yours truly. Yeah. Yeah. I like music, man. Cause I love getting high and listening to music, bro. That's like one of my favorite things. Be on the porch. Beautiful day. Right now it's May in Charlottesville. It's fucking gorgeous out. And hey, what's the temperature, by the way? It's like 85. Oh, okay, cool. I, it's 80-something here, too. I was like, what the fuck is May? But I guess the that's tree, the song. Yeah, but, it, but it's the trees are green. You know, I just love being outside and listening to some music. It's peaceful to me. For sure. Do you have, like, as I asked you about the music, sometimes people have, like, you know, emotional connections or like certain memories tied up in certain songs. Do you have any songs like that? And why you think sure, about dude. it? Oh, okay. I was about to say, yeah, if you need time to think about it, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> For sure. I mean, like, you know, I sing to my kids at night. My voice isn't that great, but like, we like music. We like, that's a way we bond. Um, you know, so there's certain songs that I might associate really strongly with my kids, mm-hmm. you know, certain str- songs that, you know, obviously I associate with getting married, you know, a song mm-hmm. I get married to or whatever. And um, I think music does a great job of taking you back to a time and place, like almost much more than a picture. I really do believe that because it's such an engrossing kind of experience getting into like an album or, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you take a picture of somebody that's just a, a frame um, and it a music. Move. Yeah. Like, like hearing music, 10 years later, like hearing good kid, mad city. Mm. I'm thinking about like, I guess it was 2012 or whatever it was. And just like the end, like rookie year for in, me. Yeah. Like the intense bonding our team had, like our D line, like I'm thinking about all the trips we did. Like there's different songs on an album that remind me of the plane ride, mm. remind me of the hotel with the dudes, like game day. And I can almost smell that year. You know what I mean? Like I mm. can, and, and, um, I think that's really cool. You can't get that with like a picture. No. Nice. The song, a song that jumped out to me was, uh, <laughs> what's the name of the song? 
More Money, More Problems <laughs> by uh, what Mace, Mace, Victorious yeah. B.I.G. and mm-hmm. P. Diddy. Um, because every time I listen to it, I think about the first time I heard it. I was in California with Judge Mathis. His son went to my middle school. Shout out to Judge I was Mathis. Like, That's a hell of a sentence. I was in California with Judge <laughs> Mathis. And, <laughs> and I remember the song was playing, and like you know, we went to like Universal Studios or something, and this was my first time seeing like a hundred dollar bill. And someone like not super stressed when people were ringing up prices. And that song was like really hot around that time. So it was kept playing on the radio. But that was like the first time that I realized like, I don't want to grow up and be like my parents. You know, like, right. I don't want to grow up and c- continue to live this way. Like this dude came from Detroit and he seems to be doing fantastic, you know. But yeah. So Pastor Mace, Judge Mathis, <laughs> Barksdale, and then you have an epiphany. Yeah. That's music. No, I just, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of songs that are pretty like moving to me and you know, there's songs that they'll come on and I'm not a crier, but mm-hmm. I can't help it a little bit, you know, like. What does that I, mean? I'm not a crier because if you cry, you are a crier. I know, but you know that it exists on a scale of being like, you know, the Irish dad that's crying every three days. <laughs> you know, maybe I am a crier because for a long time, you know, for you made your private crier. No, well, I wouldn't cry for. I didn't cry for like a long time. I cried like, I cried a little bit when when we um, when after my last game because I knew it was pretty much mm-hmm. in my head, and it was a crushing loss, dude. Um, I definitely had some tears in my eyes. I cried after a Super Bowl, after the Eagles Super Bowl, like just tears of joy, like like damn near. You know when people say like sobbing, like I was like fucking, I was doing that thing, dude. That's real. Uh, my kids found me on the field and I just lost it. And then I've cried after summoning Killy, which is really cool. Summoning Kilimanjaro is cool as fuck. It's a great feeling. Hope you do it with me one day. You're like, Mm-mm-mm. I knew you'd say that. No, like I was. Uh, I to ask. That's not happening. And then, but and then if any of y'all are interested, when I, when I when I put my kids to bed for a while. I was getting emotional. Like I'd have to, a couple times I had to really fight like breaking down because you're like, damn dude, they're just growing up so fucking fast, bro. Like That's this real. is such a quick phase yeah. and you can't slow it down. So yeah, I'm not a crier, like consistent. So I'm not many. Jimmy V crier okay. where he said like Jimmy V said, you have to cry every day. Like, I, <laughs> you know, that's not me, but that's real. But I, I have cried a good, Good amount in, in my adult life. life. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time my daughter was throwing a temper tantrum and I picked her up and gave her a hug. <laughs> Obviously, she's crying. Then I start crying because I'm like, there's no one that's going to be able to pick me up and give me a hug. <laughs> it was just Dude, two people fu- crying in the hall. <laughs> that's a fucked up thing. Like, I've had that same realization. I've been like, damn, like, who do I? Who holds me? <laughs> yeah. Like, where's my hugs? And Brianna's always like, well, if I can pick you up, but you can't. Like, <laughs> But you can't, you know. That's why I wish, like, I had, like, a giant, you know, just to, like, you know, kind of just just pick me up, man. Everybody you know, needs a hug every once me. in a while, yeah. Like a 20-foot tall, you know, like, I don't know, maybe. A maybe, titan. Uh, maybe, huh? Some kind of titan. Wait, do you, you know, you're not in an anime, are you? No, dude. All right, for sure. Scratch that from the statement. I was talking about Attack on Titan, but for those of y'all that are in anime. Y'all know. No, dude. Nobody's holding me like a baby. No. You ever get... Because as a parent, 
like you hear a lot of parents sometimes talk about my kids have it so good. They have it so much better than me. And it almost sounds like they're getting like bitter and resentful. No, dude, not me. Cause I had it good. Like I had, I mean, I had two good parents and, and, and I had everything I needed. So I don't know. I don't think I'd ever be like jealous. Cause really I, I won't, you know what I want my kids to have in a different way that I didn't have? You know how they say, like, you want your kids to have what you didn't have? Mm-hmm. Like, a little more peace. Like, the thing we talked mm-hmm. about. Like, I don't want them to feel like I felt. You know what I mean? I wanna, Do you think I that you'll get them involved in therapy? Uh, Yeah. It, I mean, like, I, I would think so. I, I don't think right now because, yeah, I'm just being honest, yeah. I do think there's some element, and this is just my opinion here. Mm-hmm. Of I could it could be a little bit of a self fulfilling prophecy sometimes like I won't, I'm trying to tell the line of at a young age talking about mental health being like mentally healthy but if I stick my kid in therapy without knowing you know what the and maybe you could kind of tell me how to feel about this but mm-hmm. if I send my kid to therapy at six years old and oh yeah not right now ahead, huh so when, so when when should kids start therapy in my mind. I think like somewhere near the preteen years, I think like, and not, I don't think going to therapy means like, I'm talking about looking at it as more like a physical, but you know, like for your mind and your emotions, just somebody that they can talk to that's removed from the situation that they can tell how they feel about stuff, that kind of thing. Yeah. So 12 and 13. Yeah. But six. No. Yeah. No, six. No, no. I'm like, cause I'm like, damn, are kids doing that? No, 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 no. I was just talking about just your children, like in the future, not right now. Oh hell yeah! I'm. I would. I'd love that because I know how helpful it is for me. Yeah. You well, know, did like, you ever have a negative, uh, not viewpoint, but uh, well, yeah. Like, did you ever have some kind of like pre, not preconceived notion, but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. some myth that you felt about mental health that, like, once you actually like started diving deeper into it, you were like, oh, there was no reason for me to be worried about that. Or mad about that or whatever. I don't think so. I think by no. the time I, I asked for help or, you know, sought help, um, for whatever reason. Because, like, you know, in the black community, like, if you if you go yeah. to a therapist, you're crazy, you know. Yeah, and that might be, you know, a little bit more of a cultural thing. Like, for if, sure. Like, let you tell it, I don't know. But okay. I, I just... You know, for, for me, I was very, if there's one thing that I know about myself is that I'm tough and I'm mentally tough. Like, I'm not worried about that. So it's not like if I go, I feel like I'm some, you know, baby. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, if I if I seek help, what I am is I'm strong. Like, mm-hmm. that's the way I look at it is like, I'm willing to go there. I agree. A lot that. of people aren't willing to go there and that's okay. But because I'm willing to go there doesn't mean I'm afraid because I'm willing to go there means I'm brave. Mm-hmm. Like, I can talk about my feelings. I can talk about the way I'm feeling. I can talk about my problems. I can admit when I'm being a fucking asshole. I don't feel like doing it to every stranger on the street. I don't feel like doing it in, in, you know, in social media posts sometimes, but like to that person and to the people that, that love me, like, I feel like I'm pretty open. and, And I think that's a good thing. I think anybody who's seeking help is like stronger for that because you're willing to go there. A lot of people, like you just said, like some people, they hear therapy, it scares them. It, you know, mm-hmm. it feels like to, to co-sign that, that sentiment of like needing help that makes you weak. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a fearful action. Mm-hmm. 
I don't have that fear. Like I don't need in that way. See, now we're talking about me, the person, not the yeah. football player. Yeah. I don't need anybody's fucking, you know, you know, approval. So I feel anything. like I met you the person. Yeah. I don't know if I ever, I mean, I met you the football player on the field, but I don't know if I ever met that person off the field. That makes sense now. Like this person, you know, that you said that you are off the field, like that's, that's all I know you as. Yeah, no question. But you yeah. know, to some people, you're always that person on the field, which is why it's confusing for, you know. That's real. You could just be like me and be the same on and off the field. <laughs> just always <Yeah>. weird. <laughs> well, I'm the same guy, but I'm just saying like. No, I know what you mean, though. I sleep I sleep good at night, you know, on, you know, as far as like what people think of me as a person. It's just, you know. So let me ask you this, because we are about to close. I'm pretty sure that there's someone, maybe they're not listening like the day that this comes out, but they will be listening to this and they will identify with a lot of the things that you were talking about earlier um, about like the pressures and, you know, those feelings that were placed on you from a young age all the way up until you retired. You know, what advice would you give those people? You know, I would say that like, you know, let's let's make it if someone's listening, because, you know, people listen to this alone. What advice would you give to that person? Yeah. You're dealing with a lot of pressure. You're, you're probably intrinsically motivated, which is why you're feeling that pressure. So that's healthy to be intrinsically motivated. Mm -hmm. I think that separates you from a lot of people is that you, you're harder, harder on yourself than other people might be on you, but you got to be healthy about how hard you are on yourself. Like you gotta, you gotta find that balance, you know, knowing when to push yourself and knowing when to back off. It's like Joe, when we had a football coach, like the best football coaches knew how to read the room and read the mood of the team and how mm -hmm. we were feeling like if we really needed a kick in the butt, we got a kick in the butt. Mm -hmm. But if we didn't and we needed a day off or we need to be loved up on that, a great coach is going to know when that is. And it's almost like you have to be your best friend, your motivator, your mentor, your coach. Like, uh, and also you have to realize that all your problems are, they're very real, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, they're kind of constructed. Mm-hmm. You know, like I've constructed these problems for myself and my job is to figure out like how, how much of these problems them. are healthy and how much are like unhealthy because if you're feeling the way I feel, you're probably a person that puts pressure on yourself and that probably has made you really good at some things. So mm -hmm. don't look at yourself and say I'm a shithead because I put pressure on myself, figure out how much is healthy, um, you know, and, and realize your problems are not. They're a big deal to you, but kind of like we talked about when I was walking through the hall in St. Louis, you know, Joe thinking I have everything and Joe thinking, oh, this guy's his life's perfect, whatever you thought. But I'm dealing with a lot right under the surface, whether that's substance abuse or depression mm -hmm. or anxiety, because I'm I'm projecting the way other people feel. Like I, the, my insecurity, I'm projecting onto other people. And so it's knowing the difference between when it's healthy pressure and when it's an unhealthy projection about the way people perceive you. Nice. Any closing remarks? No, I just love Joe Barksdale. I love this podcast. <laughs> and This is my guy, dude. Hey, Joe, if you need me for whenever you need me, bro. All right, so we're going to have Chris Long on here every other week. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the staff. Uh, <laughs> but no, nah, I do appreciate you for uh, coming through, man, and, you know, being open and honest. Um I understand it. Like you said, it's not easy. It takes a certain amount of bravery and that kind of stuff. And hopefully, you know, well, not hopefully, I'm pretty sure this will help somebody. So yeah, thank so. you for your time. Well, dude, thanks for your time.
Appreciate you, Joe. This, this is my podcast, but you can't thank me for. All right, man. Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> 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 I invite you to my house. And you, oh, hey, thanks. Well, thanks for your time. Like, is that like to have a nice flight? You too, telling the gate agent. <laughs> exactly. No, because you gave me your time. Because you should think about that. Because you gave me your time and you listened to me. So thank you, Joe. You're welcome. I'll be sending that bill in the mail. Um, no, <laughs> this isn't therapeutic for y'all, but I am Chris's therapist. No. <laughs> well, yeah, um, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, I'm about to hit the stop button. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.